Well, good morning, Whitneyville Bible Church. Welcome. Will you please stand as we open our service praising and worshiping this morning? Let's sing and praise him this morning together. church. We're just so glad you could join us here in the worship center and, and welcome to those that might be joining us uh, via live stream. We're just glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to read a few announcements. See if I can get through these. Let's connect card. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please take a moment to fill this out. 
uh, and uh, we'd like to know uh, more about you. If you are a visitor for the first time, we also have a, a little gift bag. See me or one of the greeters back here at the kiosk uh, before you leave. We'll make sure you get that. Also on the Let's Connect cards, if you have any prayer requests, please be sure to fill that out and uh, we'll make sure that that gets to our prayer team. Uh, also, uh, young, at, uh, young at Heart, the June event has been canceled because uh, it uh, would kind of fall right into the same uh, category as our uh, VBS. And so uh, we plan on uh, picking that back up, the Young at Heart, in, in July. VBS workers meal, help wanted. We need volunteers to provide meals for the VBS workers who are coming uh, straight from their job to VBS. Uh, Sign-up sheet is in the entryway outside the office. So these are, these are uh, meals for the VBS workers. And so last year, because of food prices, the team, teams of two or more people signed up together. So plan on about 50 people for the meal. And it's only for the workers for VBS. This is not for the attendees of VBS. This helps them to count on a meal prior to getting started working at VBS. So it's important to feed our workers so that they can keep up with the children. <laughs> Otherwise, they, they could faint. Okay, and the other thing here we have is the WBC blood drive is scheduled for July the 15th. Uh, our drive will be from 9 to 2 p.m. Saturday, July the 15th. What is not in the announcements, and I, um, I, I want to just take a, a second, is that on July the 8th at 9 a.m. here at the church, we're going to have what's called a parent roundtable. Now, what this is about and what it's for is that there's, we, we formed a team that is, is coming together, and it's for those of you that have young children who would like to speak to uh, those of us who are older and have raised families and ask us why our hair is gray, or, <laughs> or it's falling out. No, it'll be informative. I, th I think it would be great for uh, uh, those that are raising young children uh, to talk to some of the older folks that have already raised our children and get some insight into that. Uh, I, th I think that's how that's pretty much uh, covered there. Uh, so other than that, I don't have any other announcements. Our, our uh, call to worship today is found in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And uh, I would like to read just uh, prior to that. As he, he, this is the word of God here. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. The sweetest name I know, Jesus. Also, uh, as we go to prayer, uh, I, was, I was informed that uh, our, our brother Ron Foote had a little dizzy spell and he's been taken home. So uh, just remember him in your prayers. So I, I, I don't know any more of the details about it. So let's go to, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness and allowing you here to gather here in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. And Father, we're just so grateful that you sovereignly control all things. We're so grateful, God, that you hear our prayers and that through Christ Jesus, we can come to you any time of the day or night and make our requests known to you. 
Father, we have some that we would raise up to you this morning. We, we pray for our brother Dave Bender, a deacon here at the church who uh, has some health issues. Um, not sure of all what's going on, but we just pray, God, that uh, you would give the doctors uh, knowledge to, to um, see to Dave's care, give them wisdom, and Father, just give him the healing touch that he needs, whatever this might be. So, Father, we just raise him up to you this morning as the great physician. We pray for this young lad, Eddie, who is just uh, autistic and, and, and he has no speech and who's going through a hard time. And Father, we just pray that you would lay your healing hand on him. Be with his mother and father, uh, Dave and Amanda Van Zant, and, and just, uh, just be with them. Give them the strength that they need to, to, to deal with this poor child's issues. He has good days and he has bad days. And Father, we're hoping for a, a breakthrough. So we just pray that you would give the doctors the knowledge they need to find out just what's going on in this little boy's life and that, uh, that he would come to some normalcy. We just ask that. Father, we especially pray now to also for our uh, VBS. Be with each of the workers that uh, are, are, are working at uh, Vacation Bible School. And we especially pray for these children, especially those who may not know Christ as their Savior, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through this uh, program that we have in the summer. And Father, we just, we just ask that you would prepare their hearts to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our brother Ron. Not sure what's going on. He had a dizzy spell here just prior to church, and he's been taken home. And we just pray that it's nothing serious and that some rest that uh, would be beneficial for him. But God, you know. So we, just, we raise him up to you now, too. Father, we pray for our tech team. Those who faithfully, uh, every week, are, are kind of behind the scenes. They, they make sure that we can hear your word. They make sure that we can see your word. And Father, they make the live stream go out so that your word can be you know, go out through the internet and, and all parts of the world, God. And we just, we, just, uh, we just thank you so much for them. So just be with them, God, and give them strength. Also, Father, there's a need there that, uh, that uh, for, for others to come forward that have that kind of skill that could help them out. They, they need uh, some help. And so we just raise that up to you as well. Father, we thank you for those who faithfully uh, uh, put out our daily bread and the wonderful ministry that they have there. So many of those and so many years that, that has gone out and been such a blessing to those who read it. And so we pray that, God, that you would uh, lead their editorial staff and their writers to diligently direct readers to the spiritual truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ each day. Father, we pray for our missionaries, Nate and Kristen Muse, who faithfully serve in Sydney, Australia, their children, Jack and Alistair. And Father, they, they have... Uh, concerns for those that are, uh, are, are listening to them that don't know Christ yet. And we just pray, God, that you would work in the hearts of those that are listening and soften them so that they might uh, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They 
have many non-Christian visitors to their church. So Father, we just pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, also uh, for a home for them that would be closer to their church because of uh, awful gas prices there and they need something that uh, would be uh, closer for them so that they don't have to commute quite so far. So Father, we just pray for them as long as well as, as all of our missionaries, wherever they serve in the world, sharing the gospel, that you would meet their needs, that you would encourage them spiritually. So Father, we raise them up to you. Also, Father, we pray for our family of the week, Carissa, Evelyn, Everett, and Eleanor. What a blessing they are to us, God. And I just pray that uh, we as a congregation would love on them this morning. So Father, just be with them, this lovely family. So Father, there are many others that we could think of, that we could name, that are close to our hearts, that don't know Christ, that have health needs, that have cancer issues, who are lonely, who would love to be in church, but can't make it because of different things. And Father, they're, they're in our hearts. And so Father, as you look into our hearts, we raise each and every one of them up to you as well. Father, now as we take this time to give back to you a portion of that which you have so generously given to us, I just pray that we would do it with a glad heart and willingly. And Father, we just pray that you would abundantly bless it so that it would further the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world and in this community. So Father, we just ask your blessing on it now. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Yes, praise him this morning. Amen.
believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is Praise him, yes. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, thank you so much, worship team. Of course, that song sets up our message so beautifully today. I'm grateful for that. Grateful for the worship today, every week. I'm just really grateful for that today. If, um, boys and girls, you are dismissed, by the way, for Bible Blast, those of you who are here in the worship center and those watching via our live stream, again, welcome to the worship service, and I'd like to invite you to meet me in the two passages of Scripture this morning. We'll actually be looking at a lot of verses, but these two verses are really the seedbed for the message and the main focal point of what we'll be uh, talking about today. So if you would meet me in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, this is God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, and consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she uh, has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month of her, uh, for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now, some of us are so familiar with those verses that we've just read that the wonder 
and the mystery and the glory of what we just read can go right by us. But do you realize how remarkable what we've just read is? Turn over to Matthew's Gospel, if you would. We'll read some verses out of Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, down through verse 25. This also is God's Word. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is, translated, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray together, please. So our dear Heavenly Father, as we gather today, we are going to consider a mystery. We're going to consider something that quite frankly does boggle our minds and challenges us. But we give you praise and glory that it is true. We thank you that you have, by the power of your Holy Spirit, caused us to believe these things to be true, even as we have just sung. We believe in you, Jesus Christ. And we believe that God sent you to us in this most incredible way, in the form of a little baby. But now, Lord Jesus, you are Lord and King of the entire universe, and we give you praise and glory for that, and we worship you freely in this place. With all that we are and all that we have, we worship you. And now, would you help us to take every faculty of our minds and our spirit and to turn it to the truths that we are going to study here this morning around your word? I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Napoleon Bonaparte was right when he said, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus is more than a man. Comparison is impossible between him and any other human being who ever lived because he was the Son of God. Truer words have never been spoken. Emerson was right when he replied to those who asked him why he did not include Jesus among his representative men, as he called them. His answer was, Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was not like anyone else. Jesus came to us as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. I'm going to ask you today to consider the incomprehensible. 
I'm going to ask you to consider the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of this marvelous statement by pastor and Christian statesman of years gone by, William Barclay. Jesus' coming is the final and unanswerable proof that God cares. I suppose in one sense you could say that is the essence of the incarnation. Now we continue our new sermon series, Creed. You'd better believe it. This series is a biblical perspective on the Apostles' Creed, a summary of basic Christian doctrine. And just a few moments ago, we sang a musical version of that, didn't we? If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time, and I'd like to ask us to recite the Apostles' Creed together. You'll see it on the screen. Let's read the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the old Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell the third day. He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. So today, we continue examining the second section, the heart of the creed, the longest section of it. We began that uh, investigation of this section last week. Remember that the largest part of the creed has to do with the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'd like to ask you to remember that this creed is a response to the heresies of the Gnostics who denied the genuine deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostles' Creed sought to clarify the truth and remind believers what they believed and why concerning our Lord Jesus Christ and other important doctrines of our faith. So here's the big idea of our time today in God's Word. I believe Jesus is the Son of Man. Last week we investigated the thought that Jesus is the Son of God. We considered his deity, the fact that he is indeed God, undiminished God in the person of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to investigate this idea that he is true and perfect humanity. And of course, it's hard to talk about either one of those things without talking about both of them. And so you'll see that a little bit today, as we did even last week. And our focus first for today is Matthew 1.18. It makes a very simple and straightforward statement. We read it just a few moments ago. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. The simple phrase contains a whole lot of truth. Uh, some direct and some implied. It helps us understand that part of the Apostles' Creed that we're taking a look at today. 
I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now this statement has some clear objective truth to it, but it also implies several different things. To begin with, I believe that it implies this, that I believe Jesus' incarnation was prophetically revealed. I believe Jesus' incarnation was prophetically revealed. I believe in Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. Apostles' Creed recognizes by implication the prophetic word of the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. The Old Testament prophetic record about Jesus is actually quite staggering. There are over 300 specific texts about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But let me mention just a few that specifically speak to the idea of Jesus coming as a person, a human being. And again, it may seem obvious to us, those of us who believe in Jesus, but as I mentioned, the Gnostics taught something altogether different. And there are even those, we discussed this in Sunday school this morning, there are even those in so-called Christian churches today who would say that it doesn't really matter whether Jesus was God or not or whether he was perfect or not. He was a swell guy and that's probably good enough. I'm here to tell you that I believe Jesus' incarnation was prophetically revealed. I don't know if you realize it or not, but from the very beginning, from the very beginning of human history all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God foretold of the coming of the one who would thwart the wiles of the devil. Genesis chapter 3, 15. If you're taking notes, you may want to write that down. God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he is also speaking to the devil. He says, I will put hostility between you, devil, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This pronouncement represents the first direct, specific prediction concerning the work of the Messiah and has appropriately been regarded from the earliest period of Christian interpretation is what has been called the Protoevangelium, that is the first gospel. Even before the New Testament was written, the messianic import of this verse was recognized by Jewish interpreters, and it continued to be affirmed within the Jewish community for several centuries, even after the birth of Christianity. This is the most natural and logical understanding of that passage. This passage bears out not only a reference to the final victory of Messiah, but also to his birth, his life, his death, and that he will be bruised on the heel while the evil one will experience eventually a mortal wound. Amen. From the very beginning, the incarnation was part of God's plan of redemption. Amen. It wasn't something where God had to think, oh, now what am I going to do? Uh-oh, this is something I didn't... No, no. We're told in Scripture that before time, space, and matter, as you and I know it, even existed... God had this plan in mind. It's remarkable. 
So from the very beginning, this was part of God's plan. The, prophetic, the prophet rather, Isaiah has many prophecies concerning the Messiah, but there are a couple of well-known passages, passages that specifically refer to the birth of our Savior King. Isaiah 7.14. We read it just a little while ago. Matthew refers to it. Matthew 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. It would be ridiculous to interpret this verse in any other way than to acknowledge that the prophet is speaking about the actual birth of a baby boy who will be nicknamed Emmanuel, God with us. And as we will be reminded shortly, the New Testament writers appeal to this very text to explain the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This text suggests to us the dual nature of this son. As I mentioned, God and man, a human Baby boy born to a virgin, yes, but also God with us. A remarkable prophetic word revealing the dual nature of the Messiah, both God and man. And so the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is indeed an incredible sign to us, isn't it? One that was foretold centuries before it ever even occurred. Again, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we looked at this verse last week, but I refer to this first part of the verse, for a child, a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. And then uh, the prophet goes on to identify those wonderful names that we looked at last week. Once again, in this all too familiar verse, the prophet once again speaks of the birth of a baby boy. He's telling us of the remarkable promise of God to bring his appointed and anointed representative to the earth in human form. The description of the child born challenges our thinking as we think about it, as we consider it. The child born is obviously human, Like I said, as we learned last week from this prophecy, he has also foretold to us that he will be divine. Again, a prophecy fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Micah specifically described the birthplace of the Messiah. It's another remarkable prophecy fulfilled in exacting detail. We read about it. But here's the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem Ephratah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And again, this text hints at both the human and divine aspects of the one to come to us through the birthplace of of Bethlehem. The prophetic word of the Old Testament is clear. The incarnation was foretold to us from of old. I believe Jesus' incarnation was prophetically revealed. I believe in Jesus Christ. 
That statement we're looking at from the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus' incarnation was miraculously unique. I believe Jesus' incarnation was miraculously unique. Although the Creed emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, in the conception of Jesus, I don't know if you realize it or not, the incarnation involved each member of the Trinity. Each of the divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were active in the incarnation. I'm going to try to be discreet about this here, but let me put it this way to you. The Holy Spirit was, if I can call it this way, the efficient cause of what was conceived in Mary's womb thus excluding any man as the efficient cause. I hope I don't need to draw pictures and make any explanations. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Matthew 1, 18. We looked at these words just a few moments ago. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. But after he had considered these things, Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's quite a claim. That's quite remarkable. Luke chapter 1, angel Gabriel sent from God to talk to Mary. Angel replies to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you understand what Gabriel is saying to her? The reason he's called the Son of God is because he was conceived in you by the Holy Spirit from the power of Father God. That's why he's called the Son of God. I want you to notice the joint effort there, if I can put it that way, between the Holy Spirit and the Father in causing the conception of the Lord Jesus in human form. The Holy Spirit sanctified the human nature of Jesus Christ in his very conception, thereby keeping it free from sin. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. This sanctification continued all the way through Christ's life. It was the will and the choice of God the Father to send his son into the world to redeem the elect to be his sons and daughters. Did you hear that? It was God's will to send his son to you and to me. Isn't that wonderful to think about? He would not have come if God the Father had not willed it and not sent him. Romans 8.3, again for those of you taking notes, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. God said, mankind's got a problem. Humanity's in deep, deep trouble because of their sin. I will send my one and only son to come in the flesh to solve their sin problem. Galatians 4, 4, when the time came to completion, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hallelujah, what glorious news. Holy Spirit, obviously involved in the incarnation. God the Father, obviously involved in the incarnation. But I want you to understand something else. The incarnation was not merely something that happened to the Son. It was an active accomplishment on His part. Philippians 2. We're very familiar with that passage. But notice verses 7 and 9 of that passage. It says, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, emptied Himself. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. You and I will never comprehend the humiliation that Jesus Christ went to and experienced to become like us in the flesh. In one sense, you could say he didn't have to do it, but he did choose to do it for you and for me. So at no point in time, either before his incarnation, at his incarnation, or after his incarnation, did anything happen to him that he did not choose or will or allow But particularly make note of it today, Jesus was an active participant in his incarnation. I like what one writer said, P.T. Forsyth, the incarnation would be equally a miracle however Jesus entered the world. I believe Jesus' incarnation was miraculously unique. I believe in Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit. That statement again, I believe in Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, means that I believe in Jesus' incarnation, that it was historically real. I believe Jesus' incarnation was historically real. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just a a story. It's a fact of human existence and human history. Now, as we return now to the text that we opened the message with, we're going to find a straightforward and succinct telling of the facts of Jesus' birth. Over in Matthew, Matthew 1.18, it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. And he goes on. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Matthew records the simple fact of the matter. Mary was pregnant. An obvious and undeniable fact to all that knew her. Those of you who've been pregnant know exactly what I mean. Matthew continues as he records the words of the angel Gabriel sent by God to explain things to a very concerned and confused Joseph. Why? Because it was very obvious to him that his wife was pregnant. 
Matthew 1, 21, she, Mary, will give birth to a son. Going to give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I have to say that Joseph is the unsung and unrecognized hero of the Christmas story in many respects. He, of course, could see, just like everyone else, that Mary was pregnant. He knew he wasn't the father, so he thought that Mary had been unfaithful to him. And so he decided to put a quiet end to their marriage because he was a respectable and righteous man, as the text tells us. Otherwise, he could have made things very difficult for her. He could have even had her executed. He could have had her stoned to death, including the baby that was in her. But he didn't do that. But God, in his mercy and grace, directly came to explain to Joseph what was happening to Mary. It all fulfilled the words of the Old Testament prophecy, like we've already seen. Yes, his Mary was the virgin who would conceive the Son of God. (laughs) Matthew goes on. We read it in verse 25 of chapter 1. Joseph married her but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to his son and he named him Jesus. Joseph protected the integrity of his wife and the precious son that she carried in order that there would be no doubt this was all of God and not man. That's why that's written there for you. And again, Matthew simply shares the facts over in chapter 2, the beginning of verse 1. He says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Just like everyone else, Jesus had a mother, and he was brought into the world the same way as all of the rest of us. No no shortcuts for him either. Conception, gestation, and finally birth. We kind of gloss over those details. But think of it. Think of it. And just like the Old Testament prophecies declared the virgin, the virgin gave birth to a son right there in the little town of Bethlehem. Turn your attention to Luke's account of these things. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Now listen. I love that. Gabriel says, now listen. You, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. The record's clear. The angel Gabriel sent directly from God to Mary says to her, she will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And just like in Matthew's account, the name of this Christ child is given. He is to be named Jesus. Like we mentioned last week, not just a name of hope and anticipation as many others carried the name Jesus, but actually the fulfillment of all that name means. Jehovah saves. Now in flesh appearing. Luke provides an accurate, detailed, historical context about the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration 
that took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. If you know anything at all about the book of Luke, you know that Dr. Luke is a man of details and specifics. He wants us to know exactly where in space and time in the course of human history our Lord Jesus came onto the scene. And again, he shares the details of Mary's pregnancy and the birth of her son. We didn't read it earlier, but Luke also shares the announcement of the angels to the shepherds outside the city of Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Go down a few verses. It says, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. <laughs> Once again, the facts are simply stated and understood. A Savior born for you. You will find a baby. And that is exactly what they found, the baby lying in the manger. Now, although John did not share what we call the traditional Christmas story, like Matthew and Luke report it, he does make a clear and succinct statement about the entrance of the Lord Jesus into our world. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he tells us not only in the Gospel of John, but in his first epistle, I was there. I saw him. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. He's real. The record's clear. Jesus came into our world as a human baby boy at a specific time and place. As a matter of fact, this is why I believe Jesus' incarnation was historically real. I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Here's a fourth thing, and I'm going to spend the largest part of my message on this point. I believe Jesus' incarnation is critically necessary. Jesus' names... And he has many of them. I was tempted today to list a bunch of his names, but I decided not to do that because of time. But the names that, that we learn of Jesus as we study, study Scripture reveal to us our 
great need for him. Remember the name we looked at last week? We've referred to it already today, Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. There's no way to make it through this life without the guidance and direction of our Creator. Well, many pretend that they can. Many try to ignore them. And if I can just be honest, their lives are proof of what a train wreck it is to try to go through life ignoring the Creator. God with us so that you and I could know Him. The only way we could know Him is unless He reveals Himself to us. And He did it in the most ultimate and fantastic way. He did that through the Incarnation. God with us. Again, the name Jesus. Jehovah saves. Incarnate. Again, I mentioned this last week. I'll say it again. Many, there were many Jesus in the first century. Everybody loved the idea. Everybody loved the name. Many hoped that their son would be the Messiah. The name was that hope. It was that anticipation. But only Jesus, only Jesus was the incarnation of Jehovah's saving plan and redemption. I want you to think of something. In order for Jesus to be the incarnate Jehovah saves, he had to be sinless. He had to be totally without sin. Do you remember the Old Testament sacrifices? Do you remember how they had to be perfect, flawless, without any mark or illness or in any way? Why? Because they were picturing this Jesus. Think of the impeccability of Jesus Christ. We've already read it. Luke one thirty five says, The angel replied to her, To Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, the Holy One to be born. 2 Corinthians 5.21 he, God, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The whole reason that Jesus went to the cross was to take all of your sin. Yes, you. And the sin of all the world and to take it upon himself at the cross so that you could receive and exchange your sin for the righteousness of Christ. I asked you this morning to prepare yourself for the incomprehensible. 1 Peter 2.22 He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Peter knew. Peter knew. No. 
As the Son of God, as we talked about last week, Jesus was free from hereditary depravity. I won't amplify this title by our Lord Jesus, that is the Son of God, any further here today. We explored the, the deity and the divinity of our Lord Jesus last week, but I want you to keep this in mind. As the Son of God, Jesus was free from hereditary depravity. He had no sin nature like all of the rest of humanity. Son of God. As the Son of Man, Jesus was free from actual acts of sin. Jesus calls himself Son of Man frequently throughout all four Gospels. In fact, it is his most favorite nickname for himself. He spoke of himself over and over as the Son of Man. This term was not one that was in common use in the first century when Jesus walked this earth. Jesus' audience was very unsure what it meant. In fact, you can look that up in John 9, 35 to 37. They're curious what in the world he ever meant by referring to the Son of Man. But this, using this term about himself this way allowed Jesus to infuse it with his own intent and meaning and to use it to describe himself to his listeners and to us. Jesus explained that as the Son of Man, he possesses the authority to forgive sins. As a Son of Man, Jesus presides as Lord over the Sabbath. As the Son of Man, Jesus came from heaven. As the Son of Man, Jesus gives eternal life to his own flesh and blood. But most of all, by calling himself Son of Man, Jesus redefined messianic expectations while avoiding the distorted connotations of Messiah, which by his time pictured a warrior king who would overthrow Rome's rule by, by strong force. Using the term son of man, Jesus explained that he had to suffer death on the cross before rising three days later. By using the term son of man, Jesus emphasized his mission was not to make war, but to make his life a ransom for many. After his resurrection, Jesus, Jesus explained that the Son of Man would be seated at God's right hand, and that the Son of Man would one day return, and that the Son of Man would preside over the final judgment All statements about the person, Jesus, the Son of Man. A person. I want you to think with me for a few more moments about the significance of this dual nature of our Lord Jesus. He was the Son of God, undiminished deity. He wasn't a little God. He was all God. Amen. Whatever God is, Jesus is. Yes. He was the Son of Man. 
true and perfect humanity. How I would love to have seen him and experienced that. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, not deity possessing humanity. No, no, no. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, not humanity being indwelt by God. No, no, no. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, a union of sympathy, of harmony, of will and action. The humanity of de- and deity of Jesus Christ are united in one person forever. G. Campbell Morgan, that magnificent pulpiteer and Christian statesman and author says this, speaking of Jesus, he was the God-man, not God indwelling a man, of such there have been many, not a man deified, of such there have been, mo- there have been none, save in the myths of pagan systems of thought, but God and man combining in one personality the two natures of perpetual enigma and mystery baffling the possibility of explanation. I warn you, we would be considering the incomprehensible. The unity of the Lord Jesus Christ is unique and essential for the integrity of his person and the fulfillment of his work as our Savior King. Jesus' integrity is seriously in question if the prophetic text and historical record we have reviewed here today are inaccurate or untrue. Perhaps you understand why the Word of God is under such attack in our day. If these things were not so, if they were not true, the work of Jesus Christ is of no effect. And our faith and hope are in vain. They're silly. Consider in these final moments today what I would like to call the offices that Jesus fulfills as Son of God and Son of Man. And he fulfills these offices on our behalf. He fulfills the office of prophet. Prophet. In his role as prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals God to humanity. I mentioned this a while ago. I wanted to develop this thought for you. In his role as prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ reveals God to humanity. We could not know God unless he reveals himself to us and he has done that for now in an ultimate sense through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. In our glorified state, we will be brought into God's presence and we will know him like we have never known him before. But for now, Jesus reveals to us God the Father. He is God's prophet. Hebrews 1, 
One and two, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus, as God's prophet, is his final word to you and to me about who God is and what he is like what he says, what he does, and what he expects. As prophet, Jesus is the living word of God. Be sure to hear him. Jesus is prophet. He's also priest. He's priest, and his role is priest. The Lord Jesus represents humanity to God. Hebrews again, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Every other earthly priest, I don't care how well-intentioned they are, still is full of sin, just like the rest of us. I don't care what they say. Jesus, the one and only high priest without any sin. He goes and represents you to the Father. Hebrews 7.26, for this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill the mediating role between humanity and God. He is the only one fit prophet and priest. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Now you understand why he had to be human. Prophet, priest, and king. King. In his role as king, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to reclaim humanity's authority over all creation as the supreme and preeminent one. The first Adam... If you want to think of it this way, this way, he handed the keys to the car off to the devil. And that's why he's called now the prince of this world. But make no mistake, Jesus, Scripture makes it clear, Jesus is still supreme. He is still preeminent. He is king of kings and the Lord of lords over it all. As the second Adam he is able to restore to us the Amago Dei, the image of God in humanity as originally created and intended. Our sin mars it. But as we talked about last week, from glory to glory, we are being transformed back into the image of the perfect Christ. I wish I had more time to explore that. I don't this morning. It's a wonderful thing to think about. As prophet, 
priest, as mediator, as a savior, as king. He is exalted above all. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Revelation 19, 11, John has given a glimpse into the future. Then, I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. And he has a name written on his thigh, verse 16, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what does this mean for us? That Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. I will tell you what it means. I'm glad you asked. Jesus. And Jesus only came to fulfill prophecy and confirm God's great and precious promises to humanity. Romans 15, 8 and 9, For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the prophecies to the fathers and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. What does it mean that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king? I'll tell you what it means. Jesus and Jesus only came to provide the only sufficient sacrifice for our sin debt, sin that separates us from God. It separates us from others, and it even separates us from ourselves, and it condemns us to death. That's what sin does. But Jesus came to be the sufficient sacrifice for all of that sin. Hebrews 9, 26, Christ is our high priest, has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you're taking notes, write down Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 10. I'd love to take the time to read it, but we don't have time this morning. Explains this beautifully. What does this mean for us, that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king? I'll tell you what it means. Jesus, and Jesus only came to destroy the works of the evil one, the devil. Dear ones, that's no small thing. That's no small thing. 1 John 3, 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil. Let me ask you. Do you commit sin? Don't answer out loud. The sobering word. The one who commits sin, in the tense in the Greek, is the one who persists in committing sin, is of the devil. For the devil 
has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Colossians 2, 13 to 15, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. It was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus' words. John 16, 11. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to affirm that the ruler of this world has been judged. What does it mean? What does this mean for us that Jesus is prophet priest and king, I will tell you what it means. Jesus, and Jesus only came that he may intercede for us as a merciful and faithful high priest. Oh, dear ones, let that sink in. Jesus intercedes for you as your merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 2, 16 to 18, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. Now you see why Jesus had to be human. To make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Are you being tempted? Jesus intercedes to help you. Hebrews again, 8, verses 1 to 2. Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. Verse 6, but Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. And again, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, but Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, 
having obtained eternal redemption. Now, do you see why Jesus had to be human? Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. What does this mean for us that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king? Let me tell you one more thing. Jesus, and Jesus only, came to give us an example of a holy life. 1 Peter 2.21 For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his step. All this. All this and so much more is what the man, Jesus, has accomplished. Praise God for the Son of Man, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus' incarnation was critically necessary. I believe in Jesus Christ conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I hope you remember the big idea. I believe Jesus is the Son of Man. Paul Harvey, that radio commentator from years ago, told a wonderful story. I want to read it to you. One raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to a window and watched as tiny, shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched, the farmer bundled up and trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights. Tossed some hay in a corner and sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in uh, all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics, circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them, retreating to his house to see if they'd flutter into the barn on their own. Nothing. Nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. Birds could not understand that he actually desired to help. He withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought hit him 
like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just, just for a moment. Then I wouldn't frighten them so much. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole principle of the incarnation. A man's becoming a bird is nothing compared to God becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. I believe Jesus is the Son of Man. I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Let's pray. Dear Father, today, once again, this feeble vessel has struggled to try to convey the significance of these incomprehensible, marvelous, glorious truths. Lord Jesus, we do believe in you. Help us to know you more in spirit and in truth. So that the foundations of our faith will go very deep. And that as we build on that faith, we will be strong and secure. And in a depraved generation that does reject you, that doesn't believe. Would you help us? Would you help us to point others to you, Jesus, and to only you? Son of God and Son of Man, we worship you. Amen. Stand.
by grace draw near and bless your name. go today, remember these words from the prophet Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Go with him. Go, because God is with you. Walk with the king and be a blessing.